As a church family, if you are a guest, as a church family, we've been walking through the life and ministry of Jesus and the gospel of Mark and not missing any word, verse by verse, through the gospel according to Mark and just seeing Jesus' life and his ministry and what he calls us to do and be. And over the last few weeks, we've been diving into the last week that Jesus spent on earth. If you're familiar with the story, in Mark chapter 11, we read of Jesus. He comes in riding on a colt, riding in on a, on a donkey, on what we call Palm Sunday, which is what we celebrated last week, Palm Sunday. And people from all over the place that had heard of Jesus, or they witnessed Jesus firsthand, they witnessed who he was, or they had heard about who he was and what he had been doing, they had heard or heard about his teaching and seeing his authority and seeing his miracles, many spent a lot of time with him, walking with Jesus, doing life with Jesus, serving with Jesus. And on Palm Sunday, Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem, and these people, they celebrated, and they threw down their coats and and palm branches as they welcomed Jesus in the city as king. And after that, throughout his last week, Jesus spent his time being confronted by religious leaders. Basically, their goal was to do whatever it took to get him off the scene, to destroy him and to kill him. After the confrontations uh, that they lost with Jesus and the religious leaders, Jesus kind of took them to town on on their confrontations and on their questions. But then Jesus spends his time in the temple teaching. And then we know later that Jesus had the first, what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. He, He had the first one with his disciples. And then Judas disappeared to betray Jesus. And Jesus and his disciples, they make their way to a place called, to the, to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane so that they could pray and prepare. And here's the thing, all that time, Jesus knew what was awaiting him. Think about that. Jesus knew what he was walking toward. Because it was the reason that he came. We think about him and we talk about him. He's a person in history. He came to be a good person. He came to show us how to live. And all those things are true, but they come second to that he came to die, church. And after they prayed in the the garden, Jesus was betrayed and he was arrested. Many of his followers and his disciples, they scattered in fear for their own life. Peter, one of his closest Really kind of one of the leaders of, if not the leader of the disciples under Jesus. He, 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 one of his closest denied that he even knew Jesus three times. And Jesus is led away in the night and taken to what is really a false trial. Jesus was put through a system where they threw accusations at him. They had no truth. They had no basis in what they were saying. But they still walked him through that. And Jesus willingly went through that with no sin in him, having done nothing wrong. The religious leaders, they take him to Pilate and they demand that Pilate sentence Jesus to death. Just picture this along with me, church. Mark chapter 15, verse 12 through 14, it's up on the screen. Peter asked them, then what do you want me to do with the one that is called the king of the Jews? Again, they shouted, crucify him. Pilate said to them, why? What has he done wrong? But they shouted all the more. Just listen to that church. They just did, they didn't even care. They just shouted all the more, crucify him. And Pilate allows them to do what they wanted with Jesus. And then Jesus' suffering begins. Jesus is ordered to be beaten. And after they were done beating him, the Bible tells us that they beat him so severe that he was not even recognizable to those that knew him. I was watching a video with my boys last night just so they knew the real meaning of Easter. It's fun to have Easter egg hunts. It's fun to do all that fun and dress up. 
But I want them to know what Jesus did for them. And my son looks at me and he goes, Daddy, I feel so sorry for Jesus. And I said, he did it for you. And after beating him, they made fun of him and they spit on him. And while mocking him, they shove a crown of thorns down on his head. John 19, 1 through 3 tells us this. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers, after the beating, also twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on his head. And they clothed him in a purple robe. Can you imagine that robe being thrown on you after your flesh was ripped off? And they kept coming to him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and were slapping him in the face. And then they laid a cross on his back and they forced him to carry the cross through the streets on the way to his death. Now remember, just a few days before, there was a crowd crying out to him, Hosanna, save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And now there's a crowd watching and they're crying out, crucify him. And they watch him make his way as he walks along the street. And they watch Jesus as he's nailed to the cross. And they watch him as he hangs there to die. And on that Friday, Jesus died. And before the Sabbath, they take Jesus down and they place him in a borrowed tomb. Didn't even have his own tomb. They placed him in a prominent figure's tomb. And, and they rolled a big stone in front of him. And most thought, man, this is it. The disciples that had walked with him were so afraid for their lives, they didn't even show up for any of this. Only his mother Mary, his disciple John, and a few ladies were there. And most thought, man, all hope is lost and it's over. I think we need to walk through that and remember that as we celebrate Easter because we rejoice and we celebrate. But on Good Friday, man, we need to remember what Jesus did for you. But then we come to Easter morning. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Mark chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, there's some on the rows in front of you. Um, if we need some more, do we have any more Bibles in the back? Or are we good? We're out. We got some. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. But they'll be up on the screen as well. But Mark chapter 16 and verse 1 through 7. It says this, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might come and anoint him. So they're, they're wanting to prepare his body very early on the first day of the week. Just, just hang out with me on this for a second on this. Can you imagine what his mother must have been feeling? Can you imagine what these ladies that Jesus had rescued them from the pits of hell must have been thinking? Can you imagine what those that had followed him and given up everything for him must have been feeling? These disciples got up early and headed out to bring spices to finish preparing his body and denoying his body. Church, they were expecting Jesus to still be in that tomb. But they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? They didn't even know what they were going to do. They didn't have a game plan. In verse 4, looking up, they saw that the tomb, the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right. This is an angel wearing a white robe. And they were amazed. And he said to them, do not be amazed. Easy for you to say, angel, right? Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen. 
Let's let those words sink in. He is not here. Behold, here is the place. Check it out. Here is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. He's telling them, Jesus told you this. You can trust in the words of Jesus. Luke 24, verse 5. See what the angel, Luke, Luke tells us something else the angel says. is Why do you seek the living one among the dead? Jesus told you he was going to rise again. Why are you looking for him here? He is not here, but he has risen. They had gone there to see him one last time, thinking all hope was lost. But they get there and they find out, church, that Jesus is alive. And we celebrate that this morning. Let's gather and let's just call on the name of the Lord and pray together this morning. Father God, you are so good. As we gather here this morning, help us understand we deserve nothing. Let alone the creator of the world to come and give his life for us. So God, we pray, Lord, today that each individual person would say, God, be in charge today. Let me hear from you today, God. Help me not just come in here to check off a religious activity, but let me come in here and hear from the Word of God and hear from Jesus and what He did for us this morning. God, we pray, Lord, that we would set aside all distractions and we would hear from God and we would respond in the way God would want us to respond. God, we lift up churches this morning, woke up to the news that Hundreds of people died as they worshipped you this morning. Due to bombings. Evil exists, God. But we can trust in a Savior that whether we're here on this earth or whether it's eternity for you, you reign and you are in charge over all things. So God, we ask today that you be in charge of our time together. We pray, Lord, that we would hear from you and we rejoice that we serve Jesus, which is our risen Savior. And, and we pray all this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. There may be some in here today that have never heard that story of Jesus and his death and his resurrection, and you're hearing that for the first time. If that's you, man, I'm so glad you are here today. As we've said before, man, you're not here by accident. God knows what he's doing. For many in this room, you have probably heard this story at least once a year. Maybe you've heard it hundreds of times. Of times. You've heard the story. You know the story. You can visualize the story. You can even tell the story. You can even say, man, I've watched the Passion of the Christ five or six times. You know the story. But here's my question to each one of us this morning Do you get the story? Do you get the story? Do you understand what the story of Jesus living, suffering, dying, and rising again has to do with your life today? Not everybody else's life, but your life today. Are you with me, guys? Is Jesus only a ho- or is Easter only a holiday for you or do you understand that Jesus died and rose again for you? What I would like for us to do this morning is spend some time looking at a passage that lays out for us Easter. It lays out for us the story of God's love for us. It lays out for us church hear me on this one our relationship with God. To see What Easter and Jesus' resurrection has to do with us, would you turn with me in your Bibles to the passage we're going to spend our time in today in the New Testament, in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you're not familiar with where that is, the Bible's broken out into two different sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And about two-thirds of the way into the New Testament, you'll find 1 Timothy. You'll have 1 and 2 Thessalonians and then 1 Timothy. If you don't have a Bible, take your neighbors, right? Let them find another one. 
Just kidding. It'll be up here on the screen as well. Um, we just want to make sure that everybody has access to the Word of God this morning. Just follow along as I read from 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. I'll give you guys a second to get there. 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. Would you guys stand with me as we honor God and His Word this morning? The Bible says this, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God, talking about God the Father, and one mediator also between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. You can be seated. First thing I want us to see this morning is this. When you guys, everybody has a different background, everybody has a different story, everybody has a different reason of why you're here this morning, but I want us, I want us to understand something this morning. It doesn't matter how much money you have or how much money you don't have. It doesn't matter what you're wearing or how you smell this morning. Don't be smelling your neighbors, that's weird. Let me hear, I want, I want you guys to hear me say this. Your life matters. On the back of your bulletin, on the back of the thing that hands you when you walk in, there's, a, there's notes if you guys want to fill that out. Your life matters. We're going to see that in this passage, that your life matters, and most importantly, it matters to God. And here's the next thing on the note. That means this. You have a purpose. You have significance, and you have value. Don't let the world tells you, tell you what your purpose and your significance and value is. Let God tell you that, and we'll talk about that. You might have someone that says to you, hey, you're, you're pretty, Charles, you're, you're pretty important, man. Right? You might have someone that says, hey, you're, you're pretty important. You matter to me. But if they don't do anything to prove that, you might have a hard time believing. Are you with me, church? Right? You're going to have a hard time believing that if you, don't, if you don't see it in their action. But in this passage, we're going to see that God not only believes it, believes what he's saying, but he's going to prove it. Think about that. Just really think that with me. The God that created the universe, the God that spoke the world into creation, that God that is over all, he values us as a whole, for God so loves the world. But God so loves you. He values us as a whole, but he values you personally. Here's where we see that. Verse 3, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Now here... It's important what you all think of me. I know some of you guys wake up in the morning and you're like, I don't give a rip what anybody else thinks of me. I care, right? Anybody else with me? Like, I care what people think of me. I pay, it's more important to me how my family sees me. Are you with me, church? Right? It's more important in that. But there is nothing more important to me than how my God sees me. Man, we get worried about what people think about us on social media. We get worried about what our friends in school think. We get worried about what our neighbors or our coworkers think. Man, throw all that in the garbage, man. It matters what Jesus thinks of you. Amen. Nothing more important than how God sees us. And it says right here that in the sight of God, our Savior, church, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires. It's an important word right there. This word means to want strongly, to have a purpose, to take delight in. So what does our God and Savior want strongly? What does he desire? He desires all men. Now, when he says all men, he's not talking about just men. So, right, it's mankind. That's that Greek word for mankind. He's not talking about a gender there. 
He wants all to be saved and to come to know the knowledge of the truth. Church, he wants all. So it doesn't matter your age, your nationality, your culture, your background. It doesn't matter what you sin or you have or have not done. It doesn't matter what your life looks like. He desires all men and women to be saved and come to know the knowledge of truth. Probably on a regular basis, maybe even on a weekly basis, I have people tell me, your God could never love someone like me. God's not a liar. He desires all men to be saved and come to know the knowledge of truth. God desires all to be rescued. We'll talk about being saved and rescued in a minute. We're going to spend some time talking about that. But we see that we need to be saved. It doesn't say that we can save ourselves, right? We need to be saved. And then it says he desires all to come to the knowledge of truth. We'll talk about that too. But he wants you to know the truth. And we gain that truth, church. We gain that truth through a personal interaction with God and his word. If I want to get to know my wife a little bit better, what do I do? I spend more time with her. Right? Man, you're in a marriage and you're struggling in that area. I don't know my wife. Spend more time with your wife. That will help out a whole lot. Are you with me, guys? Right? And so, so you learn the knowledge. You learn that truth that God wants us to know when we spend time with him and his word. The more time we spend with God and his word, the more we come to know him. And just by default, the more we come to love him. Unless we just outright reject him. So to be saved and come to the knowledge of God's truth is a relational desire. It's a relational desire that God has for you. So we can know that, that, that we matter to God and that we have a purpose and that we, that we are valuable to God because, church, he created us to be in a relationship with him. Can you, can you picture that? He's just not the big dude, the old man with the long beard up in the sky that's just ready to strike us down. That's not who God is. And if you've heard that, man, I appall- that, it's just not who God is. He wants a personal relationship. He created us to be in a relationship with him. That is our purpose. In your notes, you'll see this statement, fill the blank in. God made you to know him, to love him, and to be known and loved by him. God made you to know him and love him and to be known and loved by him. God made you, church, to be in a personal relationship with him. He didn't make you to come to church every now and then. He didn't make you to open up your Bible. He didn't make you to put K-Love on the back here. He didn't make you to put Christian on your social media page. He made you to have a relationship with him. To be known by God and to be loved by God. And he made you also so that we will know him and love him. It goes both ways in a relationship. Try having a relationship where you're pursuing someone and they're not pursuing you. It doesn't work. There's no relationship there. But we, have, we do that a lot with God. Hey God, I need you right now. I need you guys right where are you at. Now God's going to be there regardless, but he could say, where have you been? Right? It goes both ways. So we were made to have that personal relationship with him. God values you. If you're sitting here in this room and you're breathing, God values you this morning. You matter to him. You were made to live life and enjoy life with God, to know him and love him. Are you guys getting the picture yet? Do I need to say it again? Right? We were made to be in a relationship with him. And when we know him and spend time with him, we learn from him and our life reflects that relationship with him. My life is different because I'm in a relationship with my wife. Are you with me? Like, I, that my life reflects that. Let's take this just a little bit deeper. We were made to walk with God. We're made to do life with God. So that nothing, we were made so that nothing would come in between us and God. That's the design. And guys, this isn't new. This isn't just something that Pastor Jeff came up with to write for Easter. Right? This has been the truth since the very beginning of time. Let's go back to the beginning. 
Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 through 28. When we look at Genesis chapter 1, we hear a lot of, and God spoke, and God said, and God spoke. Are you with me, guys? He said, and it did, right? He spoke things into existence. But in verse 27, God created man in his own image. Mankind. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. God made us in his image. This describes our personal relationship with God, our unique relationship. That does not mean that everybody looks like God. Jamie made that clear because he said you were all ugly, right? I'm just kidding, man. He's like, you had to bring that up again, right? Are you with me, guys? We weren't, it doesn't mean that we look like him physically. It describes our unique relationship with our creator. It means two things. One, he gave us his relational attributes so that we could relate to him. We can reason. We can have intellect. We have will. We have emotion. Anybody in here not have those things? You do because God made you that way. It also means that we have his image on our life. Let me be very clear. Whether you reject Christ or not, let me tell you this. You were made to belong to God. His image is on you. He stamped you. We belong to God. And notice what it says in verse 28. Sometimes we miss things. It says, God said to them. God didn't have to speak to us. He's God. But he begins that relationship from the beginning. He wants to communicate with us. Let's go a little bit further. Chapter 2, verse 7. It says this, Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and, and what? Breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. It doesn't get more personal than that. He breathes his own life into us. From the very beginning, God created us to be in a relationship with him, to live in his presence, to speak with him, to walk with him, to know him, to love him, and to follow him. Sometimes we get all that first part right, and then we're like, okay, I'm good, I'm not going to follow you. Right? He made her to do all of those things, to live in a personal relationship with him. Let me ask you a question. Do you see that this morning? Do you believe that God values you? God loves you. You matter to God. And he shows that from the beginning by creating us to be in that personal relationship with him. So that's the first thing. That's good news, right? We don't have a God ready to strike us down. Now, I'm going to tell you a true story. I had a person that worked with me years ago, and and I invited uh, this whole office to church with me. Uh, a long time ago, I was getting ordained, and I and I invited this whole office uh, to church with me. And this gal, I, I still still friend today. She pulled me off the side. And she goes, "I got a question for you." She said, "Is that whole thing about God striking you dead, you know, when you walk into a church, true?" And she wasn't joking. That's how people view God. That He doesn't have that personal relationship with them. Are you with me, guys? Like, and she's like, we're, we're not on a good page right now. I haven't talked to God in a long time. That's, God desires that for you. God's not there to strike you dead. God's there to have a relationship with you. That's good news. That's good news. So the first is this. Your life matters. It matters to God. You were made to be in a relationship with Him. But here's the second thing this morning. You have a problem. You have a problem. I have a problem. We all have a problem. When we look back to 1 Timothy, remember it says that our God and Savior desires all to be saved. Saved from what? We've got to be saved for something, from our problem. Notice what it says in verse 5. For there's one God and one mediator also between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We know what a mediator is, right? We know what a mediator is? Like, help me out here, class participation. All right, right? 
A mediator comes in between two people or two parties. Our country could use that right now, right? But he comes in between two people or two parties that are opposed. They're against each other. There's a problem between two sides. A mediator is needed. And this mediator, their job is to reconcile the two sides. To bring the two that are separated back together. Now, why do we need a mediator between us and God? Pastor Jeff, you just said, were you not listening to what you just said? That we were made to be in a relationship with God. You just said that. To know Him and love Him, and He made us to to know us and love us so that we could walk with God. You just said that, Pastor Jeff, that we were made to walk with Him and follow Him, and that nothing we were made so that nothing was to come between me and God. So why the mediator? How did we get separated from God? What is the problem? I'm not going to have you guys turn there. Look up on the screen. There's a verse in Isaiah 59 that tells us perfectly what the problem is. It says this, but your iniquities... That's just a fancy word to really say your sins. But your iniquities, your sins, have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins. Think about this in context of a relationship. There's a separation now. And now your sins have hidden His face from you. So He's not here. God made us to be with Him and walk with Him, to be in a personal relationship with Him. But then something happened. We sin against God. In fact, all have sinned against God. That's on your notes. All have sinned against God. When we sin against God, our perfect and holy God, our sin separated us from God. We broke our ability to have that relationship with Him. And church, here's why this is a big deal. Because we were created to be with God. But our sin separated that. Our sin broke that. It severed that. Our sin, your sin, my sin. And you might sit there and think, well, thanks a lot, Eve. You all have thought it. Temptation comes up or you get in trouble. I did that as a kid. Thanks a lot, Eve. Why? Because back in the garden, what happened? The the garden of Eden, everything was perfect. Everything was good. Adam went to God, or excuse me, God went to Adam and Eve, and he told them that they could eat from every tree in the garden, right? But that fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God said, hey, you shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will what? Die. Sounds pretty serious. And Eve, instead of trusting God and following God and believing God, She trusted the devil and she ate from it. So then as a man, I'm sitting there thinking, thanks a lot, ladies. Read a little further, men. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 says this, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. Sounds like a lot of sin stuff. Like we see the stuff that the world throws at us. We're like, oh, that looks good. There's a reason that the porn industry is one of the biggest industries in the world. In both men and women. Are you with me? Sin looks good. It was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise. She took from it and ate. But look who is there with her. She didn't run and find him and said, hey, I got a fruit for you. And she gave also to her husband with her. And he ate. It's almost as if he's standing by being a bad leader, really, and thinking this. Let the lady figure this thing out. Let's just see how this thing works out here. Right? And then he dives in. So you might be thinking, well, that was them. What does that 
have to do? Why is that my problem? Because the Bible, God's word, if we believe anything God says, we have to believe what he says in Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This means that every one of us have done exactly what Adam and Eve did. Every single person in this room has done exactly what Adam and Eve did. What's your fruit? We sinned against our holy and perfect God. We chose something else or someone else over God. We chose our way over, or, or the world's way over God's way. And here's the thing. Sin is such a common thing in our life as people that we don't even think it's that big of a deal anymore. I thought about that when my son said, I feel really sad for Jesus. But I had to tell my son, it was your sin that did that. It was daddy's sin that did that. Sin's a big deal. In our world, we, we categorize our sin. Well, that was, that's a big sin. That's a small sin. That's a massive lie. Well, that was just a little white lie. That's a small violation. Man, I can't forgive you for that. Right? We categorize. I think when we hang out with little kiddos, you'll see this. You don't have to spend time teaching them how to sin. You don't have to spend time teaching kids how to hit and lie and cheat. Are you with me? And be selfish. You don't have to teach them that. We spend our time teaching them how to not sin and hit and lie and and those types of things. Why? Because it's in every single one of us. It's in our nature. Romans 5.12 tells us this. Therefore, just as through one man talking. See, Eve didn't even get credit for it here. The sin came through man, Adam, entered into the world. Sin entered the world and death through sin and so death spread to who? All men, all people, because all have sinned. But here's the thing, there is no sin found in God. He's so holy. Our God is so holy that he will not, in fact, he cannot be in fellowship with sin. Our sin, big or small, is still a sin against a holy, perfect God. And it robs us of our relationship with him. It separates us. It keeps us from being and doing what we were created to be and do. To know and love and walk with God. Remember I said earlier, we were created in the image of God. Ecclesiastes 3 tells us that God has placed eternity on our hearts. That is why we all long for something more. Hear me clearly. There's not one person in here that doesn't long for something more. Throughout history, people have always longed for more because we know there has to be more to life than this. There has to be more to life than this. There is more with his his image on our hearts, with eternity on our hearts. We are going to long for more until we're walking with him. We're missing something. That's why we're longing, because we're missing for something. We're longing for God. We're longing to be with him. But our sin separated that. And so what do we do? We come up with ways to try to get right with God. My second oldest, he messes up, he gets in trouble, what's he do? I love you, mommy. Right? He tries to, he tries to earn that back. So what do we do? We create a religious system. A system where we try to earn God, and we try to earn God's favor so that we can check things off the list. I'm good, I argued with somebody about God on Facebook today. Come on, y'all. You know you do it. I went to church on Easter and Christmas. I got a Bible. 
I got Caleb on my bumper. I wore a Christian t-shirt a couple of weeks ago. We do things and we check them off the list. Notice I said even have a Bible and read your Bible. And go to church. Those are good things. But they don't earn God. We pursue good works. We try to earn God that way. We try to earn Him through good works. But all we do, it doesn't matter how religious we are, church, hear me clearly. It doesn't matter how religious we are or how good you are, or how moral you are, or how much your good outweighs your bad. Let me just apply, uh, apologize for any pastor that's ever stood on a stage and said to you that you're good when you get to heaven. I hope it all checks out at the end. I hope your good outweighs your bad. Church, that's a lie from hell. That's a lie from Satan himself. There is no way that any of us can earn God or, or have our good outweigh our bad. And here's why. Because we all fall short because there's still sin. We've all sinned and fallen the short of the glory of God. We can be as nice as anybody. We can be as good as anybody. We can be as moral as anybody. But it doesn't change the reality that we've already sinned against God. And our sins separate us from God that we were made to have a relationship with. And the problem is, is I can't change that on my own. You can't fix your problem on your own. Well, I'm an American. I can do whatever I want. I have the freedom to fix this on my own. Jesus died for Americans too because we couldn't fix it on our own. The problem doesn't stop there. You say, wait a minute, it gets worse. It gets worse. Remember when God told Adam and Eve that if they sinned against God, if they disobeyed God, they would surely help me out, church. They would surely die. You might say, well, they didn't drop dead, pastor. You should know your Bible. They, they didn't drop dead right there. I've read that. In fact, the Bible tells us that Adam lived to be 930 years old. That's too long. But here's the reality. Adam did die. Adam did die. He did die physically. It doesn't matter if he was 4,200 or 900. He died a physical death. But he also died a spiritual death. When he was separated from God. And we even see that that separation happen immediately. Think about this. Adam and Eve are walking with God. They're in the presence of God. They're chilling out and having some good Starbucks with God. Right? They're doing... I'm just kidding. Starbucks would not be in heaven. I'm just saying. But Viva Coffee Church. Viva... I'm just kidding. All right. Adam and Eve had been walking with God in the garden. But after they sinned, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 3 verse 8 that they heard this is after they ate. Did I offend you people with Starbucks? I'm so sorry. After they sinned, I need you guys to hear this. I need you to hear this. This is important. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And what would they do? Man, they're going to run to him because they love him and they desire to be with him. But it said, and the man and his wife, what? They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of his garden. That separation was already there immediately. Their sin had got in between them and God. There is a physical and spiritual death. death and, 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 and thirdly, Adam dies in eternal death. Eternally separated from God, not just here, but for eternity. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death. What's wages? It's what we deserve. It's what you've earned. When we sin against God, that what we earn is death. We know it's a physical death because part of my job is doing funerals. We all die. 
But it's a spiritual death because now we're separated from God. We're separated from our purpose. To be in a relationship with Him is severed. And then there's an eternal death because an eternal death because of this. Instead of spending eternity with the one that made us to be with us. As we were designed to be, our sin caused us to die an eternal death, separated from God for eternity in a real place called hell. Jeff, it's 2019. Stop talking about hell. I will never stop talking about hell, church. Our sin sends us straight to hell. It's an eternal death separated from God. It's a real place. In fact, you might be surprised that the Bible talks more about hell than it does heaven. That's why Jesus came. For the wages of sin is death, physical, spiritual, eternal, meaning we deserve it, we've earned it. But here's the good news of Easter. Let's get to the fun part of Easter, right? Here's the good news. This is why we celebrate. This is why it's the Super Bowl. This is why it matters to you personally. Here's why Easter changed everything. Because God has a plan. We matter to God. We were made to be in a relationship with God. Are we good on that? You ready? Let's move to the next one, right? We have a problem, a problem that we can't fix, and that is sin. It separated us from God. But God has a plan. Going back to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, look at what it says. For there is one God and one mediator, right, coming between, between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Talking about Christ Jesus becoming a man, right? Remember that mediator, the one he came to reconcile. It tells us who that is. Who is it? It's not Dr. Phil. It's not Oprah. It's not Facebook. It's not even your, your husband or your wife. It's Jesus Christ. The plan is found in the good news of Jesus Christ. The, good, the gospel means the good news, right? And so it says the good news, so it's the best news, church. It's the best news. Listen to what Jesus did in verse 6. Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom. Do we know what a ransom is? Someone gets kidnapped, they want a ransom because they want to, are you with me? How much, how much are you going to give me for their release? He gave himself as a ransom. He paid the price for all the testimony given at the proper time. The plan, many of us know John three sixteen, right? Here's God's plan. For God so loved the world, God so loved you, that he gave his only begotten son. That's Jesus God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, are you with me, right? God the Father gave His Son, Jesus, that whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish, shall not die spiritually and internally, but have eternal life. We see that here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6, that to restore that relationship between, God, between us and God the Father, Jesus came and he gave himself as a ransom to pay your price and my price. Let me be very clear this morning. A lot of the times we, we, we think that they took his life. We think that, man, that, this, that, that really stinks. They took his life. Let me be very clear. And we need to understand this this morning on Easter. Jesus' life was never taken from him. He gave it for you. If you walk away with anything this morning, Jesus' life wasn't taken from him. He gave his life for you. He came into this world, why? To stand in the middle and to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He came to reconcile us back to God and he did that by this. He came, in, he came and took on humanity. He became a man. By the way, this isn't where his life began. I want, let's be very clear. Jesus wasn't created and earned his way to Godhood. You don't see that anywhere in Scripture. He always has been and He always will be God. He is God the Son. He is eternal. He is fully God and fully man. And He came and He became a man and He did what we couldn't do, church. He lived a sinless life. 
And he was our spotless sacrifice to God the Father. And as we read earlier, Jesus went to that cross willingly and he willingly took all of my sin and he willingly took all of your sin. You're sitting there saying, he knows what I did. He saw what I did and what I said and what I thought. Are you with me, church? Man, he took all of that sin. Every thought, every word, every action, every sin, Jesus took that. You don't know what I've done, Pastor Jeff. Jesus does. I don't have to know what you've done. Jesus does. And he came and he took your sin. He took it all. And what did he do on that cross? He took the place in between God and the Father and and you and I, right? God the Father and you and I. Are you with me, church man? He just spread his arms out and he died on that cross in the middle. Jesus died for our sins. Why did he have to die? Because the wages of sin is death. So he paid our debt. Think about that. Jesus paid a debt that he did not owe. Do you grasp that this morning? We owe it. But we couldn't pay it. And he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. He came and offered his life as a substitute for you on that cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, Jesus actually became sin for us. And he died and he paid the price, but he did not stay dead. Jesus rose again, defeating death. The angel says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is risen just as he said. Remember that verse in Romans 6.23, for the wages, what we deserve, what we've earned because of sin is death. Here's the best but in the Bible. But the free gift of God, I just say it with me. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the good news of Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the best news ever. That's why Easter changed everything because Jesus paid it all, church. And now you and I can have a new life in Christ. And now you and I can be forgiven of our sins. Yes, even that sin that no one else knows about. And we can be saved from our sins. And we can have that restored eternal relationship with God. And we can spend eternity with Him in heaven. Because of Jesus, not because we earned it, not because we're religious, not because we have scripture memorized. Those are all good things, but because Jesus died for our sins and he rose again. Don't miss this. Look back with me in verse four, talking about our God and Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He desires all to be saved and known the truth, meaning we cannot save ourselves. It's a work of God. Everything that needed to be done for you and me to be saved from our sins, from our separation from God, it's already been done through the work of Jesus Christ. And here's how we respond to that this morning. Here's what we do. Once we know that our design and our purpose is to be with God, to know God, to love God, to be in a relationship with Him, are you with me this morning? That's your design. Once we realize that there's a problem with that design, the sin separated us from God, leading us to a spiritual and eternal death apart from God. And then once we realize, man, we're in trouble, but God has a plan. God has a plan. Jesus stood in our place, dying on the cross for our sins. Here is how we respond. We come to Him. Eternal life is found in Jesus and only Jesus. It's not found in any particular religion. It's not talking about your spiritual high and take whatever mountain you want to get. It's not comes in a a coexist theology. It comes through Jesus. 
Why do we complicate it? And I'll tell you what, you come to Jesus and you will do those things. Are you with me, church? Man, he will change your life. It's free. He calls us to turn from our sin, turn from our ways, turn from us being in charge. We're good at that. We're good at being in charge. And we turn to him. He calls us to believe in him, believe in Jesus, believe that he came in your place, receive his free gift of salvation. Church, he wants, he desires that relationship with you. Listen to the words of Jesus. Just, these are some of the things Jesus said throughout his life. Turn to me. Turn to me. Follow me. Be with me. He tells his disciples, or the Bible tells us in Mark, that when it, with his disciples, that he first called them to be with him. And then he sent them out. It's about being with God. Will you follow Jesus? How will you respond to this news this morning? Will you follow Jesus and trust him for salvation and follow him as Lord of your life? Yes, that means you have to let him be in charge. We know how us being in charge ends up. This morning, where do you find yourself? Separated from God or have you turned to Jesus. The Bible says that we all, that all we have to do is to believe that Jesus is Lord and that believe that, that God raised Jesus from the dead. It doesn't say earn him. It doesn't say be good. It doesn't say be religious. You won't find that anywhere in the Bible. It says come to Jesus and ask him to save you. Where are you this morning? Do you have a personal Easter story or will this morning be your personal Easter story? Are you changed by Jesus this morning? He gave himself for you. Will you come to him? Will you give him your life? You might say, I know Christ, I've been saved, I've got a story, I have my Easter, I have the time when I trusted in Christ. Here's my question for you. Is there a longing inside of you because you're not walking with him? Are you spending time with him? Are you with him? Are you yearning for him? Is there something missing? Is it, is it your time with him? For you this morning that come here today and say, man, and, I, and I'm with you, I'm so glad that you're here, whatever the reason is. But if you say, man, I came today because it's Easter and that's what you do. You're here because God wanted you here this morning. How will you respond to this message? How will you respond to the gospel? Don't give a rip about what anybody else thinks of you. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you trusted in him? Have you received that free gift of salvation? What's your Easter story? Have you turned to Jesus to restore that relationship? Because here's the reality. He paid your debt. There's a song that says, Jesus paid it all. We're going to sing it here in a little bit, right? Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. It doesn't say I own my Sundays. It doesn't say I own my bumper to put Caleb on there. It says all to him I owe. Will you give your life to Jesus this morning? Let's pray.